the show about swim, bike and run and everything else in the world of sport that tickles your fancy. We're producing for Radio Sydney and Australian Broadcasting Media, but on this edition we're recording live from the Giro d'Italia, the second of the three, well the second biggest of the three Grand Tours of cycling and um, after the Tour de France and uh, the third one is the Vuelta Espana. But as I said, it's all about the Giro d'Italia. Uh, we're into the second week of this uh, year's race, the 99th edition. Nine stages have been raced, they've been won and lost, and we've seen some pretty interesting results. On this uh, edition, we've got uh, back with us through popular demand, Gregor... Very popular demand. Our, our guest has already just interrupted, but uh, through popular demand, Gregor Brown, who's a correspondent for Cycling Weekly and Velo News. And we've also got a special interview with Orica Green Edge Head Sports Director Matt White, who will give us a review on how their Giro has uh, unfolded, both from the, with a view to their sprinter Caleb Ewan from Sydney, and also for their overall contender Esteban Chavez. But with me on the line now is my cohort in crime, Aaron S. Lee. Aaron, how are you doing, mate? And uh, and how you been following the Giro from over there in New Orleans? Oh, yeah. Thanks for reminding me that I'm not there. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and welcome back to the show, Gregor. Always thanks. good to have you on. Um, I think I just got disconnected. You're with us live, Aaron S. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so tell us, you, you're over there in New Orleans and, uh, you know, obviously uh, you, you're following the, uh, the Giro because you've, I've read your reports for Eurosport Australia, but uh, at the same time there's a tour of California over there. So, so uh, what's your take and how are you following it there? I mean, you've got to be following cycling uh, 24 hours of the day. Well, I think it's very exciting. And of course, you're leaving after the tour of Iran, the, the former tour of Azerbaijan, is also underway. Uh, uh, the last I saw, Peter Coney from Draft Packet was on the podium. I'm not, I can't recall if that was for a stage or for the race, the GC. But uh, there are a lot of racing going on. And of course, yesterday, uh, the Tour of California kicked off. It looked like to be an exciting finish with, with the world champion, Peter Sagan, uh, clipping a uh, former Draft Pack rider, a new Cannondale Neo Pro, Walter or whip it um, right there at the finish line. Um, I saw some social media posts uh, last night from Whippert, who, who is quite excited, I think, to, to come in close, so closely second to the world champion. It's a, a lot of racing going on. It's a, it's a, we're kind of getting into to the meat of the season, aren't we? Um, a lot of things going on, a lot of excitement. If you're a cycling fan, no matter where you are in the world, whether it be the Southern Hemisphere, Asia Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, or, of course, North America and, and Europe, it's just a great time to, to, to be alive, so to speak. Yeah, actually, just uh, triggering my memory, just of a couple of days ago when uh, Gregor Brown, uh, our special guest, and I were at the start of the stage, uh, I think uh, seven, and um, 
when it was finishing in Foligno and then uh, we were chatting about the race and we bumped into uh, Gianni Savio and we asked him, or his, his Italian sports director um, with his team Androni and uh, we asked him about the Giro uh, just like I asked you, and he told us all about his team racing in the four days of Dunkirk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just a, that's a little uh, little take on you there, Aaron. No, but um, uh, uh, tell me, Aaron, w- w- with you, you've seen the the Giro unfold now. Um, who do you think is in the best best position to, uh, of of the uh, of the overall contenders? Oh, that's a look. I mean, I, I think everyone's looking at Dunlop. Uh, it, it's done such a great job that first week, and a, a bit of a surprise. Um, I, Bob Jungles has come out of nowhere. He's been a lot of talk in the the local cycling community about the Edex Quick Step Rider, and uh, I'm still kind of uh, I don't know. I, I kind of like Valverde. I don't know why. There's just something about him this year uh, in the race and the development of the team. And and I, I loved your piece the other day on Roy Sutherland, and, and you just your heart has to go out to that. That veteran uh, from Australia and the job that he and his teammates are doing for for the uh, former Volta Espana winner. Um, I, I don't know. I think it's still anyone's race. I think it's still very early. I think we're still surprised that Nibley is not really being mentioned at the moment. Um, obviously, he had some uh, some issues there towards the latter part of the week uh, with his team car. But uh, I think it's still a little bit close to call. At least from my from my perspective, you guys are on the ground, so I'd love. To I'd love to hear what you guys think. Well, that's a, that's a good segue to, to Gregor Brown, who's with us now. So, Gregor, what's your feel, mate? Who, who do you think is in the, in the box seat for this year's Giro? And, but who can possibly give the, the best challenge to that person in the box seat? Well, uh, we'd be silly not to, not to talk about Vincenzo Nibali, who's, who's uh, put all the cards on the table for the Giro d'Italia this year and could be his parting gift for Astana. As, every, as everybody's heard, he's linked to the Bahraini team uh, for 2017. Um, he's going to be uh, ready and supercharged for the final third week, uh, as was evident in that time trial yesterday and also was evident with Zacharin until the final kilometers when it just all fell apart for poor Zacharin. He was, he was going to be the dark horse uh, for this Giro d'Italia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, Nibali, Nibali is the favorite. Uh, but but uh, my, 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 uh, after yesterday's time trial with Mikel Landa, who raced with, with, race, race with Astana last year to a third overall uh, behind Alberto Contador and his own teammate, Fabio Aru, now my heart kind of pulls for for Mikel Landa in in a way. Uh, he, he pulled out he pulled out a great time trial yesterday, and uh, showed that the the training over the winter paid off, and and then uh, and then in the mountains he, he should he should set the race on fire and, and provide a good duel with 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 uh, with uh, Vincenzo Nibali and with Aaron S Lee's pick Alejandro Valverde who who as Aaron said, as Aaron mentioned uh, the team is super strong super strong with the way they put two men up the road the other day for the for the stage over the white gravel climb there to an, an Arezzo and the descent back down and Alejandro had two teammates at the road and that just that was perfect 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 racing uh by uh by Movistar and Alejandro what do you think guys Look, uh, Greg, I think you've you've, uh, you've nailed it, and Aaron as well. You know, saying that Valverde, uh, I believe he is the biggest threat to the uh, 
to, I guess, the guy who is seen as the favourite, Vincenzo Nibali. Um, earlier today, uh, I was, uh, Aaron, I was talking with, with Gregor, and I, I still have a feel about, you know, as a challenge for the podium, I still think Esteban Chavez um, is looking very good because that time trial before the time trial, Matt White, the head sports director of Oracle Green Edge, who we're going to listen to later, he did forecast that he would be happy if it was um, if his time loss in the time trial would be about two minutes. So, um, so he's looking around there. They're obviously very confident about Chavez's uh, ability once we get to the pointy end, literally of the uh, of the Giro. Yeah, but Esteban didn't did not look too happy with his day there yesterday when we saw him sitting there on the bus's steps. His, his eyes were were a bit watery. I'm not sure if that was the 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 Chianti rain that 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 kind of got underneath his arrow helmet and into his eyes, or, or if it was it was it was the tears that you know uh, f- filled him up after his time trial performance. I don't know. Uh, and, and, and Esteban's going to have to really, really pull out his climbing legs to make up that deficit now he has to, to the virtual Magli Rosa uh, Vincenzo Nibali. Well, I think I think it's a natural. That's a natural emotion to think in any event. You know, obviously, uh, uh, team directors sort of calculate what they think can be won and lost on time uh, to try and keep a realistic sort of scope over how they're going to uh, approach the race tactically. But if you're an athlete, you know, you don't, you're not going into a race to lose time, are you? So you, I think it's a it's a positive sign that someone is disappointed. Um, Aaron, now um, you know uh, you, you you've known Matt White for a long time. I mean, we're going to hear. It for, you know, from him after the break, I had a chat to him about how the landscape of things went uh, or are uh, after nine stages. Um, another rider who you do know well, um, Caleb Ewan from Australia in the sprints. Uh, you've known Caleb for a long time and you've seen his career progress. Uh, how do you feel he's tracking? I mean, obviously he hasn't got a stage win yet, but I think a lot of people may think, well, may not understand how hard it is to get a stage win in the Giro. Just because he won a stage in the Vuelta doesn't mean that's going to transfer to the Giro. But, but what's your take on Caleb's race so far? Well, you're spot on, Rip. Obviously, the, the, the Giro is a completely different race in the Vuelta. I was kind of with Gregor earlier in the week. I think I tipped uh, Caleb to win stage by now. Um, but something that I've seen, uh, and, and I'm sure you, obviously you guys have as well, over the last two years since, since Caleb has made that jump up the world tour, um, is, is that he has, has a tendency to get lost um, there in the finish. Um, and, and, I, and, and I don't know if it has something to do with size, which I do believe was a huge benefit to him in the under-23s, uh, under-19s. But it seems like he, he just can't seem to find his way to the front on the finish line, even when his team has had the opportunity to deliver him successfully to the front of the field. Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't know if that's a lack of confidence or if he, he just doesn't have that, that little extra horsepower to, to get him over the top of these these bigger, stronger riders maybe. But uh, I was figuring that he might be able to, to, to sneak in there. Um, again, most of the time that I've had a chance to really follow K, you know, Caleb in person, it has been races such as, as the Tour of Korea uh, or Latin Cow. Where, where he has raced against you know, inferior competition. Okay, well, look, uh, we're going to take a little break now, and we're going to come back after this uh, break, after uh, Aaron you know, dips into his LP collection and produces another selection of music. But we're going to talk more about the sprinters, because uh, there's been some interesting results in the first week, albeit we're looking towards the second and third week when all the action is going to unfold for the overall classification. But there's been a lot of action going on. Uh, so uh, we'll set a little break and then we'll come back and talk about life in the fast lane.
to Want a Ride with Aaron S. Lee and Rupert Guinness and our special guest, Gregor Brown from Cycling Weekly and Velo News. And as guests always have, they have free drinks. And, and Rupert, since we're in uh, the area of Chianti, has poured me a, a tall glass of Chianti wine, uh, some of the finest he could find at the, at the local corner shop uh, after lunch today. Rupert, what, what type of bottle, what vintage are we drinking here? It looks like 2016. No, it's a 2014 Valoni di Ceccioni. Have I I got the pronunciation right? You're going to tell me if I'm wrong, I know. Rupert, good enough. I mean, the man at the store there uh, was helpful and uh, recommended this wine uh, because it comes from the local uh, Penzano hillside. And we're we're just up the the climb... the, the final descent, we're at the top of that final descent that they faced just during that time trial that, you know, left us, put us into the rest day, and here we are on the rest day. Well, thanks for clarifying that. We are on the rest day of this year's Giro after nine stages that we're not actually in the middle of, a, of the tenth stage, drinking Chianti. Anyway. Well, well, hey, Rupert, i got to ask. I mean, have you run this past uh, Australian broadcast media's Andy Brown? Because I don't recall you ever getting a uh, uh, food and drink allowance. Well, uh, that's why I'm here, Aaron, and uh, you're you're there. And I guess you missed you you missed that negotiating uh, tool, you know. Uh, <laughs> it would be the first meeting that I've missed out on. <laughs> okay, look, we're 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 back. Uh, we've been talking about the Giro d'Italia, and we're in the 99th edition of this year's race. And uh, while a lot is yet to unfold in the next couple of weeks, the second and third week of this year's race, a lot has already happened, and we were talking before the break um, about Caleb Ewan and how he's been tracking. Um, we've just touched on that, but it would be remiss of us not to talk about the impact that uh, the other sprinters and their teams have had already. We've seen Marcel Kittel win two stages and have the pink jersey, the leader's pink jersey, the Maglia Rosa. We've seen Andre Greipel win two stages um, uh, in sprints in you know, superb form and also his Lotto Sudal team uh, win another stage with uh, with Willems winning the, the stage in superb fashion with a br- you know, fantastic breakaway on the first uphill finish, or not uphill, summit finish of, of this year's Giro. Um, Gregor Brown is with us now. Uh, Gregor, what's your feel about the, you know, the, the impact that, say, uh, Kittel and um, Greipel have had so far on, on this race. Huge, huge, huge. Uh, Marcel Kittel uh, has, has, has won now, I think, four stages in, in the Tour of Italy without ever winning a stage in Italy. Uh, you remember he, he won up there in Belfast and, and in Dublin and two, two years ago, and, uh, and now he, he's, he's won in uh, uh, two stages in, in, in Holland uh, before it transferred down to, uh, down, to the town, down to the toe of Italy uh, in Calabria. They made a huge, huge impact, and... and and perhaps Greipel more so uh, with that sprint win on that on that little uphill finish there where he had the crash of the Katusha rider in that final left-hand bend. He just slid out and fortunately didn't take out anyone else with him. Because uh, he, he won again. He won a second stage. And then we had Tim Willens win, winning on Roca Rasso. So Lotto is, is extremely happy. And the word is in the Lotto camp, Lotto uh, Sudal, the Lotto Sudal camp, is that they want to win even more stages. And so they're, they're hungry. Uh, whereas uh, Etix uh, said, Look, uh, uh, Marcel, you've had enough, and, and they and they sent him home, you know, uh, because uh, Marcel's going going to rest up and, and p- come back for the uh, Tour de France. 
uh, they made a huge impact, and it was just what the race needed with Marcel Kittle winning winning two stages. Uh, Greipel doesn't make the same impact, and I wrote a little bit about that on, on Velo News last week. Uh, he, you know, he was in the shadows of, of, of Mark Cavendish there at High Road HTC, and uh, and then, then now in the shadows in Germany of Marcel Kittle. And uh, people love the tall blonde Marcel Kittle; they really do. And so to have his presence uh, already early on in the Giro d'Italia, along with Tom Dumoulin, another attraction attractive man, not, not quite as attractive as myself. Uh, it, 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 it's, it's been great. It's been great for the Giro d'Italia and, and, and that's what the race needed. Um, you know, these big names winning. So, so their impact has been huge for their teams, but then also for, for the race overall, as it, as it, uh, pushes for its own identity in the landscape of cycling, you know, because here we have big names, you have Tom Dumoulin, Marcel Kittle, and yes, Andre Greipel, a name we're all familiar with winning stages in, in the Giro d'Italia is great for the race. Um, I was just wondering, Greg, interesting point though, you know, like it's, I mean, I think you mentioned it in your story that, uh, you know, Greipel, you know, living in the, has his career gone through the shadows of these charismatic um, headlining sort of sprinters, you know, also you've had Mark Cavendish as well, and, uh, you know, Greipel obviously made a you know, reference to the fact that, you uh, um, well, you spoke to him, didn't you? You heard him when, he, when his response to that. Well, what did he actually say? And because and, oh, there was a bit of a reaction to your story as well, I understand where people sort of said, you know, hey, he's still, a, you know, I guess it's how you interpret his impact. But I mean, what, what, what did he say at that press conference? And. Uh, what was your take on it? Well, we, we cornered him in, in the hallway outside the press conference, uh, I think, when, when the other journalists uh, were, were listening in with Tom Dumoulin. And uh, a colleague of mine asked him, uh, you, you know, we get this impression in, in Germany at home that you're not as popular as Marcel Kittle. And he, and he said, you know, well, I'm not out to win any popularity contest. You know, I'm always open for a chat, for an interview. And, uh, and, I, and so, you know, he says he's available. But, but it's just his character. How 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 Greipel comes across, and he's not as as accessible, uh, or doesn't seem as accessible and friendly as a Marcel Kittle has a smile and the big broad shoulders and the blonde hair. Uh, and then I put it to Marcel Kittle. I said, "Well, uh, excuse me." I put it to Andre Greipel. I said, "Well, does it you know must help that you know Marcel Kittle has his blonde hair and these looks?" <laughs> and uh, he looked back and he said, "Well, he said uh, I'm not going to say he's not attractive, but I don't think I need to hide myself behind." a wall either and so uh so yeah um you know under under Greipel's clearly in a, clearly in a good mood with his with his stage wins and, he, and he's still around uh, which is, is more than uh, Kittle and 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 Viviani in this Giro d'Italia so we could see him win not tomorrow in Sestola but uh, in some of the days coming up already yeah perhaps at Bibioni on stage is it perhaps yeah, 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 that's right, Aaron. I was about to say stage 12 to Bibioni. Uh, Aaron, you, you, you saw uh, Greipel uh, at the Tour of Turkey, which, you know, him and Adam Hansen used as a, as a I'd say, an important lead into the Giro f- to get their form. I spoke to Adam Hansen the other day, and he was saying how uh, he has noticed a difference, though, in, in Greipel um, now than, than at the Tour of Turkey, where he, where he got back to winning. But it's, it's a thing of confidence, you know, when you get that confidence of that winning feel back again and then you get momentum um, tell us Aaron you, you've, you've seen um, Greipel at the Tour of Turkey a number of times now he's, 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 uh, tell us a bit about his character because there is an underlying humour there which perhaps a lot of people sort of miss and perhaps the perception is not really fair on him well no absolutely 
And I think, um, you know, obviously we had a chance to just down with Grapple last week at the, the tour of Turkey for a story on Bella News, but also for, a, for an interview saying what a ride, who was as well as Adam Hansen last week as well. Um, and, you know, Andre was in, in good spirits. It was immediately following the stage three win in Konya. Um, he had suffered a bit of a calf strain, a calf tear in, a, in a, the, inside the first 10 kilometers of stage one at Turkey. It put him in a bit of a foul mood for the next two days, but he was in good spirits uh, on stage three, obviously after the win we talked a little bit about him uh, missing out on the tour tour down under the, the past two years, and and he laughingly talked about uh, returning to see some wallabies and kangaroos, and he would return down under uh, before his career was over. He was very excited to do that, but uh, you know, I, I talked to him a little bit about his age, and and maybe was age something that had, it was playing a bit of a, a factor for him as he gets a little bit older. I think he's what guys thirty three, thirty four years of age, and, and of course, as the older you get in, in athletics, the the fast twitch muscles they dissipate slightly. And uh, but he said that wasn't the case. It was just simply a case of having a really bad year uh, with injury. And obviously being able not to have as much training time leading up, but he felt confident. Uh, and the team seemed to be in really good spirits. You know, the thing is about love, you have to kind of like these guys. At least I do. They, they've got a, a bit of a blue-collar work ethic. What do, you, what do you think? No, I think you're spot on there. I mean, the, the Lotto Sudal team, they, they don't... Um, you know, they, they, they base their uh, reputation and name uh, on performance rather than, um, say, the, the, the glitz and glamour that comes that can come with some teams, and, and I like that. I think there's an intrinsic similarity between a lot of their riders. They are similar with that. They don't over oversell their image, and, and they don't boast about what they're going to do or what they've done. Um, you know, I think anybody who's, who's spoken to Adam Hansen would would, uh, would feel that from Australia, but I think that's, uh, you know, when you... When and you see the say there's a devotion towards Andre Greipel, so, so to speak, but also in that team, as we've seen with Willems's uh, stage win. I mean, there's there's opportunity there, and I know for a, for a fact that Adam Hansen is, um, you know, as Gregor said earlier, how Lotto Sudal they want to win more stages, but at the same time, it's not just about Greipel winning stages; it's about opportunities for other riders in that team, uh, you know, seizing those opportunities. And I know Adam Hansen's one of those guys who wants to do that. Yeah, I want to share a story with you guys. I don't think I've ever written about this. I don't think I've, I've mentioned it on air. Correct me if I'm oh, wrong. Yeah, no, hold on, hold on. We're going to be just, just a second, Aaron. Uh, I have to do the uh, the alert here. Diddy, diddy, diddy. World exclusive. World exclusive. <laughs> that, that's that's our sound effect budget. Um, it's about <laughs> as about as, uh, as as deep as our, uh, our our food and beverage budget as well. Um, no, seriously, I, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago. Um, t- sitting and, and talking with Adam Hans, who was um, who's obviously Andre Greipel's roommate while on the road, and I think that's Andre a lot of good. And I, and I remember um, it was a race. It might have even been last year's Tour of Turkey because Cavendish was there um, racing for um, for Edix. And I remember um, Adam saying that sometimes Greipel lacks a bit of confidence and, and, and that Cavendish would purposely leave him out when, when mentioning his rivals for an upcoming race and it would get under Andre's skin and Andre would say to Adam, you know, uh, basically and I'm paraphrasing all this of course, that you know, well why does he leave me out? You know, why, why does he, you know, does he not think I'm a, I'm a good sprinter? And Adam would say, no, he, he probably should a fantastic sprinter he's, he's doing that to get in, uh, under your skin. I think that's the thing about Bripel that maybe, maybe we're missing or I'd like to get your thoughts on is that maybe he hasn't had 
even though he's had a lot of success, he he doesn't come across as the most confident sprinter. That's an interesting point because I mean, uh, uh, I, I guess the fact, even like I said earlier, that how Adam mentioned that the big change he's seen between uh, the Tour of Turkey and now is is, is uh, Greipel's confidence. So that's obviously something that uh, swings, you know, from one to the other. Uh, Gregor, what do you think about confidence in amongst bunch sprinters, and 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 are there any bunch sprinters who you think are just always confident, and that is not a really a, a potential uh, vulnerability for them? No, no. Sprinting seems to be a game of confidence, and uh, and and once you get that that stage win, or once you start working up there, as as Caleb Ewan's doing, you know, in the in the sprint finales, uh, the confidence comes, and then you finally reach that win, or you start working your way up there in, in the bunch sprints in the finals. And, and you stay, you hover around, you know, a, a third or fifth, like a Sasha Modulo, or perhaps Viviani in the Giro d'Italia, and, and that confidence doesn't come, and then it becomes a, a mind game, uh, as it were. And and now I was talking to uh, the director Rick Van Slick, who uh, I probably produced a few uh, CDs back in, back in his days. <laughs> Uh, Rick Van Slick at Etix Quickstep, uh, and 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 he was just 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 happy, happy, happy to see you know Brambilla in the jersey for uh, for another day. Uh, Youngles uh, nearly taking the jersey by one second off of his own teammate, and then of course the two stage wins by Kittle, and so the team is full of confidence, and that's that helps everybody in the team. And he, you know Kittle wins two stages, his confidence goes up, and uh, so in a way that Tim Wellens win will uh will uh will vibrate around the team and 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 Greg will, will even feed off of that more for our next sprint stage and so you'd be you'd be a fool to not bet on, bet on uh, Andre Greipel for the next sprint stage Look, that that's uh, interesting. Actually, I, I like your your reference to Rick Van Slick. You know, sounds like because you think of his team, you almost have the, a rock band called Rick Van Slick and the Quick Quicksteps. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds like a '60s band, doesn't it? But it, um, but also, it, and I think it also. I tell you what, and wait, Ruth, I'm sorry to cut you off, but if you're gonna if you're gonna go with that, then you have to have some great backup dancers, and I would like to start with Stephanie Clerks. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, but another thing I'd just like to add, um, you know, uh, uh, what uh, Gregor was just saying, though, with with confidence, because it also uh, it, it passes on to not just the, the the guys who are sprinting. I mean, obviously, it passes on to everybody in the team, and you can see with Eddie's quick step, you know, with Jean uh, Luca Brambilla, who's leading the the Giro now um, and has for two days now or two stages. Um, you know, his confidence and the way he rode in the time trial. I mean, it does trans. Transfer intrinsically between the team. I mean, they're having a fabulous Giro here. Whatever happens now, it's it's. I mean, they're in that they're in that purple patch now where they say each day, whatever happens now, it doesn't matter. We've had a fantastic Giro, and then it goes on. Um, but I tell you what, just just to, uh, after the break, we're just going to have a little listen though to to Matt White, uh, the head sports director of Oracle Green Edge, because uh, as you know, his uh, his team has been. Oh, having a pretty successful Giro, although they haven't actually won anything yet. You know, uh, obviously they won the team time trial last year and, you know, uh, stage wins, you know. Pink jersey. Oh, the pink jersey as well. Thank you, Gregor. They had the pink jersey. So the success 
of this uh, this Giro for Orihi Green Edge could be interpreted in a different way, and uh, it's yet to be seen uh, how it'll unfold because their overall contender in Esteban Chavez is the card they're playing. But we've said earlier, you know, um, Caleb Ewan is a, a work in progress, and we speak to Matt White about all that, uh, about both players, or both, not both players, we're getting wrong, wrong sports here, we're cycling, not rugby. We're all players, we're all players. Players of life. Anyway, we're going to take a commercial, not a commercial break. We haven't got a commercial. We're going to take a break. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna, after the break, we're going to listen to Matt White, the head sports director of Oracle Green Edge. You're listening to What a Ride. i 
Well, I'm speaking with uh, Matt White at the uh, finish of stage nine, the 40.5-kilometre uh, time trial uh, in the uh, to the town of Chianti. Um, Matt, the race has been won and lost. Some people have lost a lot of time. Some people have crashed. Uh, just first up, what is the fallout, excuse the word, the fallout of, uh, of today's stage from your perspective with Esteban Chavez? Yeah, look, I'm very happy with today's result. Uh, the, the actual result on the stage is, is irrelevant for the general. But the time he lost against the, the best uh, general classification riders is exactly in the, be- the ballpark where I would have liked, uh, under two minutes. Uh, it was a time trial that was you know, pretty hard to design, a worse one for Esteban. A lot of descending, more descending than climbing. And for a guy who's 55 kilograms and not a, not a time trial specialist, he's done very, very well. Um, he did reconnaissance of the course before this Giro, but um, I assume when you did reconnaissance it wasn't raining like it was here. What sort of instructions uh, did you give him before the race and also during the race to uh, where he could get the max, the best time possible but at the same time not take too many risks? Yeah, so Esteban saw the course in March and then uh, we, I did it with him this morning in the dry, maybe two hours before the start. And we, we, we made a call this morning that if it was going to be wet, that uh, you know, there was no, no need to take any unnecessary risks today because he's got great form on the climbs and, he's, and he's, there's lots and lots of stages where he can peg back time. But you crash today, you hurt yourself, you can finish your Giro. So it certainly wasn't worth uh, taking any unnecessary risks. To the layman out there who may see his drop in the, in the result overall from 6th down to 13th, um, that can be a misinterpretation of where he really is standing as the mountain's approaching. How, do you, how can you, uh, what would you say to people who have seen that, that drop in place? It's one day. We've got a long way to go and the Giro hasn't hasn't even started yet. Uh, we've got some very, very tough mountain stages coming up and I'm very, very happy with the position we're in so far. Um, now with uh, with Esteban, the rest day coming up, um, obviously rest day is good for a ride and uh, I guess mentally to, to regroup and see where you're at and plan for the second week of, of this Giro. Uh, do you have anything that may be changed as a result of what we've seen in the first week? No, I, I think... Uh, now all the stages uh, are a lot more accommodating for him. You know that was always going to be crucial today. Uh, but you know the next the next time trial is a hill time trial, which is going to suit the pure climbers, which he's one of. Uh, but look, we've got a long, long way to go, a lot of climbing, and uh, I think the weather's going to have a big factor on the outcome of this race as well. With his Colombian background, he's a he's a rider who I guess he's he's trained a lot in Colombia. How can the potential conditions of a Giro, with the fluctuating weather that we've seen, but particularly in the north and the mountains, how can that um, uh, impact his performance potentially? Well, his the biggest benefit for him is uh, on the stages that go to high altitude here. Now, he lives at 2,600 metres. Uh, the highest we go is 2.7, and not too many riders are used to riding that high. Whether we go that high, it will be very much weather determined. But but uh, on the high mountain stages, for example, we've got a stage next Saturday, six times over 2,000 metres. Mm-hmm. So for a guy who, li- who lives and trains at that altitude, it's a big, big benefit. So really the, the sense of mood amongst uh, Orica Green Edge, yourself and Esteban and, and his teammates is really uh, a calm sort of confidence and maybe with a little bit of relief that today uh, has not been uh, a result that maybe someone like Zacharin who, who uh, had a few falls uh, experienced. Yeah, no, there is a hell of a lot of relief. It was a stage that could have gone wrong at any given second for any any GC guy taking risks today and uh, I'm happy with where we are. Tell us for yourself, in that time trial, uh, when you're going down those descents, uh, I know we were on the course and we weren't even following riders, but with, I'm just thinking the potential risks that you could face. What was going through your mind and in your heart 
and perhaps other way, other areas of your body at that time. But there was a couple of the corners I couldn't watch. I wasn't driving the car, <laughs> but uh, I couldn't watch. It was it was pretty nerve wracking because he'd done such a good time trial, and uh, there's a there was a couple of moments there where you could see the back wheel slip a little bit. But uh, there was a couple of corners I just put my head down. And just a quick word of another uh, uh, young guy, or not uh, uh, um, Caleb Ewan, who's obviously here for a lot of experience, um, but he seems to be making progress in in, in the in the sprints. Uh, working well with uh, with Luca Mezjek, his lead out man as well. Um, Thursday stage, stage 12, uh, his next opportunity. How do you think he's going to be able to put what he's learnt from the Giro so far into practice in Thursday? Look, I, I think the two of them are growing in confidence, and uh, what he's going to take out of the Giro, whenever he does stop the Giro, he's going to take a hell of a lot of strength uh, for the next part of the season. Yeah, you know, he's got uh, races two or three weeks after here, and a busy summer. And uh, I think the block he's going to get here will serve him well for the rest of the season. For a sprinter and his lead-out uh, rider, they very much have to work in unison and anticipate each other moves. Um, it's almost like having dance partners. Do you, would you put them in Dancing with the Stars just yet? No, there'd be the odd couple of those two. I think it's about a foot and a half difference in height between them. But uh, look, it's not only those two, it's the guys in front of them that are you know, Sam and Heppy yep. haven't had too much experience working in, in that role specifically. And uh, you know, it might, Luca is the last guy you see, but there's also other guys who play an important role and getting that four guys together and the timing, that's that's the big thing, timing and confidence. Okay, Matt White, thanks for talking to Water Ride and all the best for the rest day and we're looking forward to weeks two and three. Still a long, long way to go. Welcome back to Water Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee and our special guest, Gregor Brown. Um, we've just been listening to Matt White, the head sports director of Orator Green Edge, talk about uh, his team's uh, progress in this year's Giro, the 99th Giro d'Italia. Uh, obviously, he spoke about Esteban Chavez and his pursuit of the best uh, or of the overall classification. But he made some interesting comments there about uh, um, Caleb Ewan, their young Australian sprinter, 21-year-old, second year. Uh, was well, in the second full year as a professional, and uh, obviously Caleb, he feels Caleb has been making a lot of progress in this year's race, even though he hasn't got the stage win they'd hoped for yet. Uh, but he does suggest that Thursday's 12th stage to Bibioni will be his next prime opportunity. We've already spoken, uh, Gregor, about Andre Greipel and uh, and and how he's probably the man to beat uh, on the stage to Bibioni. What do you feel about uh, Caleb's progress so far? And not just Caleb's progress, they've had Luca Mezjek, you know, make, uh, I think he's made progress as his lead-out guy, and the team has also tried to use, while they're keeping resources for Chavez, they've tried to use guys like Sam Bewley and Michael Hepburn to sort of do a bit of the early muscle work to set them up. But what do you think they have to do to be able to beat Greipel? And obviously there's guys like uh, Madolo, Nazolo, etc. But w- w- how do you feel that they're... How, you're laughing now. What what they're going to do? <laughs> Modelo, Nizzolo, uh, yeah. Uh, it all sounds like a pizza. Uh, yeah, I'll have a little Nizzolo on that, please, and uh, hold the red sauce. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Bibione will be his, his next chance, and also probably his last chance with the, with the big Alps. Uh, they're looming up north uh, af- after that stage in Veneto. We're talking about Caleb Ewan, who I think is 21 years old, and uh, and uh, w- one who, who got a stage win in his debut Grand Tour last year at the Vuelta España. And uh, when you when you talk about these top named, the top billion sprinters, your Greipels, your, your Mark Cavendish, your, your Marcel Kittles, 
Eagles. Uh, only one other one has done that, and that's that's Marcel Kittle. And I think he did so when he was 25 already. And 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 so uh, if he if he doesn't if he doesn't win in this Giro d'Italia, it's not a loss for for Caleb Ewan, um, and of course it's not a loss for the team who's come in with with GC ambitions with uh, Esteban Little Esteban Chavez. Uh, uh, what it is, is is he's gaining confidence, and he he did that. He showed that the other day when uh, Luka Mescic took him up in the sprint, and uh, he, he shot out there early and just faded as Andre Greipel, and I think Modelo uh, w- whizzed by. Uh, so that last year, that stage win on that on that quite an uphill finish uh, in the Volta Spagna, and I walked that last kilometer where where he won that sprint last year. I think he, he beat Sagan, I think, in that uphill sprint. So quite impressive. He's still going to carry that confidence through uh, through this. Giro d'Italia and on to the next Grand Tour, which could be the, the Vuelta España, and to the other objectives he has in the season. It won't be the Tour de France, the team's confirmed. Uh, so he's going to carry that confidence through, and, and so what he just needs to go through the paces in these sprints, and get get that experience, and and and, and, and go on, and, and try to win some more, uh, even if he doesn't pull off the win, it's, it's not a loss. Uh, it's, it's experience, and um, and so, yeah, it it helps out. It's it's, it's a positive and it's a growing experience. And we should all we should all keep that sort of positiveness that that little Esteban Chavez has. Uh, you know, he he says you know for him it's just a victory to be in in the Giro d'Italia. You know, and so he just everything's positive, and 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 that's what this is for for Caleb Ewan is a positive building experience. Yeah, that's uh, that's a lot of good points there, Gregor. Yeah, well, oh. no, I mean, just I mean, if you look at other sprinters like your Need Solo, your Modelo, as, as as Rupert likes it, to throw out the names with the end and O's. Uh, I mean, those guys, those guys, it's not it's not building experience, especially for Sasha Modelo. He's he's here to win, and and Sonny Cobrelli has he gone home already? I mean, he's racing on on uh, second division Bardiani team, he, and he he's here to win. The pressure's on for those guys, and and Viviani is here to win, and he was. Here to win because he's already been time cut and sent and been sent home by the the, the UCI race jury with two of his colleagues. Um, so so that's the big difference between uh, Caleb Ewan and, and, and Viviani. Let's not let's not build up too much pressure on on little Caleb Ewan yet, who who has his future ahead of him, and, and he's just trying to figure out what kind of haircut he wants. <laughs> That's true. We saw on the uh, on the backstage pass how his hair has grown. Uh, actually, when I was sitting in, in in the bus with him the other day for an interview, I didn't realise how long his hair was until the backstage pass revealed that it came across like a sheepdog. You know, like. Uh, but I, I agree with you 100 percent there. I mean, he's only 21. It seems like he's been riding for racing for forever, but he's, he was so lo- so young when he was making an impression. And I, those Italian guys, there is a lot of pressure on those Italian guys to to win. I mean, their season hinges on them getting that stage win, particularly here in the Giro, because we won't see them at the Tour. Uh, and for Caleb, um, you know, there's obviously a, a well-defined uh, uh, pathway for him. But there will come a time when that pathway of will change where he, there will be the expectancy on him yeah, to win. But it's not today. It's not, it's not yeah. Yeah. And it may not be this year. Maybe not next, next, probably towards the end of next year, I think there'll be a bit more pressure, yeah, but we'll wait for that. Aaron, what do you feel about uh, Caleb? Because I remember you, you, you've seen him for a long time, and I still remember when we were having a chat to him back in Ballarat a couple of years ago before the Nationals, day before we went to Burrumbeet for the team for the time trials, which he didn't do, but we had a coffee with him there. Uh, uh, do you think he's changed much, and, and, and how have you seen his progression? 
I think that's the thing. I haven't seen a lot of of other than you said, the physical change with the, with the hair growing, which I haven't seen. I can only imagine because he lives in I think Monaco now, next to Blaine, his teammate Michael Matthews. But I, you know, I've seen a lot of maturity in his riding, and and of course he's always handled interviews with such great poise. And I'm not sure if that's just a, a product of of his manager Jason Baca, who's obviously you know uh, in charge of guys like Cadet uh, Evans and, and and Simon Clark. So there's a there's a lot of polish with Caleb. He's a he's he's not a big outspoken person, but he's uh, he's always keen to have a chat and 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 has a good sense of humor. I I, I want to see him do well. You guys ride. Right? Or hit it right on the head. He's, he's still what twenty one years of age. He still has a lot of growing to do. But again, the, the the team's expectations and of course cycling fans' expectations down under will uh, will increase uh, with every race. And of course, it doesn't help that there's a there's another Aussie legend out there, uh, Robbie McEwen, who he has stated that he wants to I think uh, at least surpass his win total. I'll tell you one little thing that may be interesting, uh, maybe not this year, but later. Uh, uh, you know, I, th- I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Michael Matthews is off contract this year, but if he does stay with Oracle Greenwich, it'll be interesting to see if uh, the pathways with uh, Michael Matthews and uh, Caleb uh, cross at all with races and ambitions. But that's maybe for another day. Um, but... Uh, Hey, you know, while we're still talking about the uh, about the Giro, I just want to say how good is it? Kind of moving off the sprinters, how good is uh, the young uh, Slovenian Primoz Roglic um, from uh, Lotto Jumbo? He's I had a chance to really get to know him last week, uh, last year, excuse me, um, at the Tour of Qinghai Lake uh, when he was riding Ria Mobile, and just thought the former ski jumper is just a just seems like a fantastic guy. And, and yesterday's Stage Nine individual time trial win, where it just you know hats off. You know, there's a, there's an interesting story about what what happened with him. He um, when he went to uh, you know he went up to the start of the the stage, and the UCI commissaires measured his bike. You know, uh, according to to rules, and they they the measurements didn't uh, correspond with the rules, so they told him so. It was two minutes before his start, so he took a bike off the uh, uh, the team car. Uh, that bike, uh, and then and he obviously scrambled to the start. Started that bike didn't have a water bottle on it, so he couldn't wasn't able to get a, a water bottle for the time trial. Also, the seat was too low, and at that point he realised that, and he actually thought to himself that sod this, my stage chance, uh, you know, they've they've gone, you know. So he just thought, I'm just going to ride this for the fun of it to see what I can do in torrentious conditions, uh, torrential conditions, I should say. And uh, and he ended up winning the stage. I mean, that's one of those remarkable stories. When you take the pressure off, and suddenly he produces a stage-winning performance, which, albeit, was helped. His result was helped because of the conditions that were uh, much worse later on. What a ride by Rolick. Uh, he, he said he said that he used some of that same sort of ski jumping mentality to 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 corner his way through those wet Chianti curves and make his way to Greve and Chianti where, where we were at the, at the uh, press room uh, uh, just keeping warm in there in the, in the, in the, in the, press, uh, in the press surroundings with our, with our peers. And, uh, 
he 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 put on a show and and he sat in that hot seat for a long long time as the showers came through uh I, I, I did, yeah i'm sorry he did not race in the rains he used his technique as a ski jumper to go through those corners and then the rainstorms came of course good which, point good point and, and then the rainstorms came but he so he used his descending skills or his his his, his technique as as a ski jumper is so that mental preparation uh just to go through there and keep focused and go through those curves uh, and then of course that paid off, uh, holding back some of the top guys like Tom Dumoulin who, and Bob Youngles, who were, in all fairness, I mean, Roglic's a, a good rider and showed that in the opening, uh, in the opening time trial in Appledorm. In all fairness, those guys were held back by the rain. I mean, no one could go full out on carbon rims in, in, those, in those torrential conditions uh, in the late afternoon. Yeah, exactly. As, as, and as we heard Matt White say when, the, when he was following Esteban Chavez, he, a couple of those turns, he couldn't even look. He put his head down. He wasn't driving, but the car, but he couldn't look. In, in the sky, the sky mechanic who who maybe by coincidence is also Slovenian like like Roglic said you know look I, I just I, I think I took uh, Mikel Linda's ride took uh, took a couple of years off my life just watching <laughs> watching him ride he thought he was gonna you know slide out in any of those corners and just go off disappearing in the in the Chianti vineyards and yeah. never to be found again I, I should say that I mean it, it was a shame for the time trial that the the rain did come in like it did you know and, and not just affect the race but it it did I mean where we're sitting now the sun's come out and you can see over the hills uh, here in County and it's just, just a beautiful... I'm opening up uh, Rupert's... Uh, <laughs> Rupert has uh, these large French doors to his room. I'm just letting in some of this fresh Chianti air uh, into the room. So if, <laughs> if you, I don't know if that comes over the audio recording but you may get a sense of that sense of the Chianti vineyards through the audio. Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful <laughs> scenery here and if only the conditions we've got now were uh, prevailing yesterday because, um, you know, it, 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 it's a shame for the local area that that uh, what would have been an absolutely beautiful stage um as exciting as it was wasn't as beautiful as it could have been uh aaron so any last words you'd like to have to say about uh um our ski uh jumping friend well no just other than the fact that you know as, as we were talking about uh you know the multi-sport athlete you and i you know we're quite fond of multi-sport athletes we certainly are. We uh, we do diversify, and you know, as as a matter of fact, that's probably a nice little segue to our next little subject, which we're going to talk about uh, a multi-sport athlete who is, doesn't ride a bike yet, but you never know. He could end up taking up cycling and trying to win the Tour de France. His name is Jared Hayne, the former. Now I have to list a number of sports: former NRL rugby league player, former NFL player, uh, soon to be. Uh, rugby sevens player, and you never know, as I said, he could become uh, a Tour de France rider. But we don't know that. That was just me speculating the last one. But I know a lot of people are also speculating that because Jared Hayne, who made the headlines in Australia week in, week out, actually day in, day out for so long in his pursuit of trying to get a contract at the... Uh, we had a contract to get a starting position at the San Francisco 49ers, uh, has this week announced his decision to quit the 49ers and NFL football to pursue uh, an opportunity to play for the Fiji Rugby Seven sides at the Olympic Games in Rio. We're going to come back after the break to talk about this because it really is a, a phenomenal, or he's a phenomenal athlete, And um, but the challenges that are facing him to get into the team for Fiji in this discipline, I think 
maybe underestimated uh, by a lot of people, certainly those who believe that Jared Hayne should be playing there. But anyway, we'll talk about that after the break. Uh, Aaron, can you just sort of put that hand back into the LP collection and uh, come up with something nice for us to sort of get our breath back? And we'll come back after the break and talk about Jared Hayne.
You're listening to What a Ride with uh, Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee. Now we're going to have a little bit of a, a shift in pace and direction. As we alluded before the break, we were, we're going to talk about Jared Hayne, the former rugby league player from the Parramatta Eels, who went off to pursue a career in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. And just this week he announced that he's going to uh, leave the 49ers, or he has left the 49ers, to pursue another opportunity to play for Fiji in the Rugby Sevens at the Olympic Games in Rio this year. Now, uh, there's been a lot of conjecture, as there has been with every move Jared Hayne has made, as to whether his next move is feasible or not, whether he can do it or not. And uh, by no surprise, a lot of people have come out to say, this is ridiculous. He can't do it. He can't play Rugby Sevens with two months to go before the Olympic Games because the, 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 they say the uh, game of Rugby Sevens is completely different in pace and tactics and everything else than what he has experienced in the... Uh, yeah, well, not certainly with the, with the NFL where there's much more, um, I'd say, uh, requirement to have a short and sharp speed for impact um, and certainly with rugby union with 15 side game and also rugby league a 13 side game in rugby sevens it's very much a game which is uh, uh, you have to be the endurance athlete to be able to run at, at pace there's no room for stopping uh, and a lot of people are saying that this is something that he will not have um, he will not be able to develop that pace and speed and endurance with two months to go and also the tactical nuances of rugby sevens Aaron S. Lee, have you, um, how much of this story has made an impact in the States? And, and just what's your, your feel about what Jared Hayne can do or not? Because I know from you living in Australia, you know about rugby league and rugby union, but you also know about the challenges of multi-sport and athletes uh, shifting from one to the other. Well, first and foremost, I think he's living the dream that we all have as children, whether it be young boys or young girls, and that's to, to, to play every sport at the highest level and, and to achieve things. And I think the fact that, uh, look, he had a handful of carries in the NFL and, and maybe double that in yardage. Um, he didn't have a chance to score a touchdown, which is a bit disappointing, I think, uh, for his Palmeiras as he looks back later on. But the fact that he made an NFL roster coming from a completely different code and not having played the game uh, his entire life is is pretty phenomenal, to be honest. I think the um, the majority of the headlines that I've seen have, have come from uh, obviously Australian headlines. It hasn't made as big an impact here in the U.S. as did his tryout a year ago. Um, but of course, it, it, he has played a bit of a, a role in the San Francisco 49er. Uh, community in, in Northern California because he'd become a bit of a cult hero, I believe. But uh, I mean, chapeau to, to, to Jared Hayne, and he's, he's living the dream. Yeah, look, I, I sort of agree with you. I sort of think, and it's also his life to leave to, to lead. At the end of the day, I mean, uh, and. Uh you know, if he doesn't succeed in making the team, uh, I'm sure there'll be plenty of opportunities for him with his uh, sporting career, whether it's in rugby league or whether it's in rugby union. I mean, I, I, you know, if, if, and even, you know, there's, there's rugby union over in Europe uh, that uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot of opportunities for him. And, um, and in some ways, I guess it sort of adds a bit of polish to the... Uh, 
to the significance of, of, of the Olympics. I mean, I know in this day and age, it's easy to be cynical about the Olympics with so many issues of corruption, dope, or alleged corruption and doping, etc. Um, uh, sort of not actually sort of uh, mirroring what the... Uh, original ethos of the Olympics was was about fair play and, and competition um, and suddenly you've got a guy who's willing to th- not throw everything away but willing to make a massive shift and put everything aside to try and uh, make an Olympic dream real um, and so I, I sort of admire that but at the same time I'm, I do believe it's going to be extremely challenging if he had more time, I would believe he could do it, but I just think two months to go when you're actually at the selection phase of your finite squad for the Olympics, not just the uh, the squad they might have had for World Cup events for a year ago. So it's, it's going to be a very uh, contentious issue because if he gets in, there's going to be someone who's missed out. Fiji uh, are you know, arguably the best with the New Zealand team um, in, in Rugby World Sevens, and uh, it's going to be a massive, massive story, whatever happens. Uh, and I've, if he gets in, I do feel for the person who doesn't get in, and I hope if he does get in, it's for the right reasons and not just for the headlining reasons or whatever. You know, if, if, you know, say for example, someone could say that it, maybe if Jared Haynes in the Fiji team, they can bring an extra sponsor. There's a massive sponsor there to, to support rugby sevens in Fiji. Um, I hope it's just on athletic ability and also what he brings to the team as a person. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you're spot on there, Rube. I'm, I'm sure that uh, there is a bit of media exposure and promotional and commercial elements to his signing. I do know that there has been rumors here for the past four months in the U.S. that, that he may not return. He was a pet project, I believe, um, of, the four, of the last coaching team for the 49ers, Jim Tomasula and his staff, who are no longer with the team. So I think it's, it's been a bit doubtful if, if the new coaching staff would want to put the time to continue to develop Jared Haynes as an athlete. But I'll say this, as far as athletic merit alone goes, I don't care if he has two days to get ready for the Olympics in Rugby 7. At six foot two, 225 pounds, he is a, he is a steaming locomotive, and I would hate to get in his way. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd love to see that if it did happen. Uh, with, with, with all jest, but hey, um, uh, speaking of uh, multi-sport and switching, now uh, a lot's been happening in the world of triathlon. We do say we are the show about swim, bike, and run. Aaron, uh, what's been happening in, in in triathlon from an Australian point of view? But also, we're getting to the Olympics, so there's a lot happening around the world. Uh, with uh, I understand, you know, in the US, with what's happening with uh, with their selections as well. Well, of course, over the weekend, the Woodlands uh, Ironman North America, Ironman Texas was the North American Championships, and a couple of Germans, Patrick Lang and Julia Gager, both uh, took out the elite men and women's fields, respectively. But but going back to the Olympic side of things, um, it was also the ITU World Triathlon Series in Yokohama. Uh, Gwen Jorgensen returned uh, back to form. Uh, she, she, uh, she was beaten uh, last month for the first time in, I think, 14, 15 races. Um, of course, she has already solidified the She's a world champion and, and already solidified her spot in Rio um, for the American women. Uh, the American, the other American uh, racers uh, the, on the women's and men's side still a little bit in limbo, as are some of the women for Australia. Of course, Emma Moffat, uh, who, who's made history, she's going to be a three-time Olympian uh, in the sport of triathlon from Australia. I uh, did a story on her for, triathlon, uh, for Triathlete magazine 
on triathlete.com little cheap plug there um that should be coming out i think it just hit newsstands and then um so she's she's already punched her ticket and ashley gentle um finished second right behind when most probably punched hers now as well as um wallengong wizard charlotte mcshane um there who finished fifth overall so it looks like we may have our one two three for the australian women um as far as the men go obviously we've uh we've known darren royal uh, solidified his tickets uh, last year, Rio qualifiers um, in August. Um, Ryan Bailey punched his ticket uh, two months ago. Just a uh, dip story on him for the 220 triathlon. Again, cheap plug. Um, and and uh, over the weekend, and J- Jacob uh, Jake Burt Whistle, um, who I believe he's a Wollongong Wizard too. Roop, um, he finished fourth. So it looks like we have our three for the men as well. So uh, it's going to be interesting times now in the lead up. You know, you and I talked uh, earlier this year that there didn't seem to be as much buzz surrounding the Olympics, and it seems to get less and less each year. So of course, going back to to, to news like Jared Hain making the selection to, to to go there and or the decision to go to the Olympics or or try for. I, I think it's good for the sport. I'd, I'd like to see the Olympics return to its past glory. Yeah, well, that, well we could only hope so. Well, what's your feel about the uh, the Australian team with medal chances, or is is competition at that uh, that top level so tight you can't actually predict uh, medals? But well, I mean, you know, I mean, we just saw Ashley Gentle go second to Gwen Jordan, who is a odds-on favorite, obviously, to win a gold medal. Um, she finished. Uh, Maybe about 80 seconds, or excuse me, 40 seconds, I hate to say, 40 seconds behind Jorgensen. So on, on a given day, anyone can win. Uh, Yokohama had a, had a tough field, and of course we saw Whistle finish fourth to, to Mario Mola, who's going from Spain, who's going to be obviously a, a favorite for the Olympics in Rio as well. As a whole, I do not see the Australians placing um, on the podium, either the men or the women, but I do see this as a setup year for 2020 in Tokyo. As far as the Americans go, obviously Gwen Jorgensen is just a step step ahead. She is where the families were for the women's side, um, you know, four years four years ago. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, and, and just while we're on the topic of uh, multi-sport and cross-sport, etc., just here at the uh, Gerard Italia uh, Dimension Data, the uh, South African team, they had a special guest visitor this uh, this in this last week, uh, Victor Matfield, uh, Springbok rugby legend. He uh, was with the team and uh, he spent a day with the team and I was talking to Doug Ryder about that and he was uh, mightily impressed uh, not just by the athletic performance, but apparently uh, he was pretty taken back by the, uh, say, accommodation uh, standards for, for cycling teams here. Uh, uh, having covered rugby myself, I know that the, you know, the rugby teams, particularly if you're on a Springbok side and you're a legend like Victor Matfield, you're used to um, uh, staying in five-star hotels, etc. And he was pretty surprised when he went back to the Dimension Data Hotel and uh, saw them, uh, I'll make it modest, but... That, I'll be fair to the hotel. They were staying in modest accommodation, so to speak. And Gregor's chipping in here. He should see some of the hotels we stay in and where we're staying tonight. Rupert, this this bed here does not look fit for more than a one night stay, and yet we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try to do two nights here. Well, sometimes Gregor, you got to make you have to dig in, don't you, so to speak. But it was interesting. It was interesting hearing that rugby perspective. Hey, listen, I, I got to say, though, I've seen some photos from Gregor. Um, uh, there was a photo of a, a boudoir bedroom maybe two nights ago that looked, I got to tell you, it looked pretty five-star in, in, in Hatton. 
Look, uh, that, that, we, that was just some some hotel that he wandered into. You know, uh, yeah, they, they they kicked me they kicked me out of that room shortly after I took the the photo, Aaron. As you know, we stay only in budget accommodations and and share rooms and uh, survive on bread and water here in the Giro d'Italia. Even in Chianti, we do. Okay, look, uh, we're going to take one last little break here, and then we're going to come back to wrap up the show. Uh, Aaron, find us a nice little tune, and then we're going to come back to wrap up the show of uh, what is called What a Ride.
listening to What a Ride with Rupert Guinness and Aaron S. Lee and our special guest, Gregor Brown. Well, thanks for having me, guys. I mean, it's been, Gregor, it's been a ride for me as well, Rupert. Gregor, please. I'm the host. Please let me introduce you. Be polite. <laughs> no, Gregor, um, thanks for being on the show, mate. Uh, uh, Aaron, we've just uh, lost Aaron in space. Um, a lovely Rick Van Slick who was playing there. He has an extensive LP selection, and he pulled that one out of the bag for us. Yes, well, we just hoped that was uh, Rick Van Slick-esque, I would say. Yes. Because the Rick Van Slick and the Quick Steps don't exist yet, but maybe we'll see them soon. Hey, look, we're just going to do a little wrap now. Um, we're getting into the second week. What do you what do you predict and what do you hope for in the second week? Already, I predict. I mean, I don't know if this audio is going to be online by the time we see the stage tomorrow. But I mean, to Sestila tomorrow, it could, it could get crazy. I mean, I think we could see if, if John uh, John Luca Brambilla maybe possibly lose his pink jersey uh, because there's a little uphill kick to the line. Uh, we have some mixed stages coming uh, all the way through to Bibione, uh, which is a sprint stage, and then after that, it goes crazy with some high mountain alps. So I think uh, what we can see is some real racing and people trying to take opportunities in, opportunities in. The these next days to try to get some time and gain some seconds like we saw the day Diego Lisi won. Yeah, exactly. I was about to go to that one because there was that steep 18% climb which uh, Esteban Chavez said was hot, was steeper than 18% at its maximum peak but it wasn't even um, categorised on, on the race book. But it's, what I've loved about this Giro so far is that the GC contenders are willing to take every opportunity that comes. It's not just waiting for the, the, the marquee stages or the marquee mountains. If there's a little hill or a corner, they'll take it. We had dinner last night with Mauro Vigny and some of his friends, and what Vinny's done is he's, he's given the canvas and, and the colours for, for the writers to, to create these, these sort of paintings and, and, and these beautiful pictures that we're seeing uh, by, by having these stages uh, the, the other day to Arezzo and the stage uh, Ulisi won with some of those small mountains uh, in there where it could be a day where the group stays together or an escape wins or it could be a day where if one wants to try one can blow apart the race like we saw Valverde uh, ditch, uh, ditch uh, Tom Dumoulin and ditch uh, Jakob Fulgesang and 2012 winner Ryder Hazeldahl Exactly, and Maravigno being the race director of uh, the Giro d'Italia, and I think you know full, full credit to him for I think so far designing a course which has covered a lot of terrain. When you think we've gone from Netherlands down to the south of Italy, right to the boot, mm. and we've come up through the spine, and we're in Chianti in Tuscany, and the best is still to come. I think uh, it's been a fantastic route, and I love the fact that the peloton have actually have actually embraced it. They've, they've taken every opportunity that's, that's come, and that's what Grand Tour Racing is about. Gregor Brown, thanks for being on the show once again. And uh, all I can say to uh, our listeners is I hope you've enjoyed this episode of What a Ride. There'll be more to come. This Giro has only just really started when you think about it, and uh, uh, I'm just looking forward to it. And uh, to all of you out there, just stay safe and uh, stay upright, and don't forget a metre matters. That's the most important thing. We love our cycling, but we want to stay safe. Goodbye for now.